We'll be reading from Romans chapter 11 and verse 25, but we know today already that the pace has been set. The Lord has set the table, literally, but through worship and the Lord's Supper, praise and prayers, uh, to be able to hear from God's Word. So we begin reading from Romans chapter 11 and verse 25, where it says this, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He'll banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. But just as you're at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience... So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who's known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has been given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things... To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word today. There were a group of friends that were reuniting and getting together all about 30 years of age, and they were deciding about where to go eat. And as they discussed, they said, let us go to the Glowing Embers restaurant because there they have young and beautiful waiters and waitresses. So at 30 years of age, that's where they decided to go. Fifteen years later, they got together again at the age of 45, They were deciding where to go eat. They said, let's go to the Glowing Embers restaurant because there they have delicious food and wonderful desserts, so let's go there. At the age of 60, they were deciding, another reuniting 15 years later, at the age of 60, they decided where they were going to eat. They said, let's go to the Glowing Embers restaurant because at the age of 60, they said, oh, it's kind of a nice, peaceful, quiet place and they have no smoking throughout the restaurant. Fifteen years later, at the age of 75, they were reuniting again, and they were deciding where to go eat. They said, let's go to the Glowing Embers restaurant because they have handicapped parking, wheelchair accessible, and it's accessible for all to be able to go in. And finally, at the age of 90, they were reuniting once again, and they were deciding where should they go eat. They said, let's go eat at the Glowing Embers restaurant because at the age of 90, they could not remember that anybody had ever eaten there before. They came together at the Glowing Embers restaurant. Aren't you glad that we serve a God that never forgets? He's made promises, promises to His people, promises to Israel, promised to all of God's people, and He never forgets a promise, and He never forgets us, and we can trust Him with all things. I think what we will learn today, particularly we have read here that He has not forgotten Israel, those whom He chose to love a long time ago, and He continues to love them. I think we're going to find today that He has not forgotten to love us as well. I find myself wanting to take passages sometimes that are a little bit more harder to understand. And there's some in this passage a little bit harder to understand. And I want to make really simple sermons. And at the same time, not losing the weight or the importance of all the things that are being said. So I've got kind of an outline here for us. It's uh, nothing that innovative, I guess. And I want to share it with you. Not all that creative, but maybe to help us to talk about it. And it's simply this, God's purpose, God's plan, God's promise leads to our praise of God. Now, if you didn't get all that, we'll go through them as we move along here for the next few minutes. 
But this will allow us to be able to talk about this passage, be able to see the meat that's found in this passage and add flavoring along the way. And I hope for each of you, and we've got some younger ones here, and even for them as they uh, might catch glimpses of what's going on here, I hope that it will be interesting to you and at the same time I hope that it will be relevant as well. First of all, we know that God has a purpose. He has a purpose for Israel all along. We've been talking about last few weeks about, uh, about this nation of Israel. We've been even talking about the nation of the United States and even truly God's nation, which is His church, not bound by geographical means, but only bound by those who have Christ in their heart. We'll also find that God has a purpose for all of those, but also He has a purpose for your life and my life. Verse 25 that we read just a moment ago says this, he does not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Well, what is the mystery? It is that which may not have been known in the Old Testament, but has become clear in the church age, in this time of the New Testament church. Now, there's a lot of mysteries of God and some of those things that we may not know until we get to heaven. But whenever you read in the New Testament particularly, almost every time you hear the word mystery, singular. It's talking about this one single mystery that is now made known. This is it. It is that He wants to redeem all mankind, men and women, boys and girls and teenagers and students. God wants to save everyone. He wants all to be saved. In the context of this passage, salvation is for the Jews and the Gentiles alike, meaning it's for everyone. It was not known beforehand. It was not known widely before Jesus came and died for us on the cross and rose again. But Jesus wants it to be known for every, by, by everyone. He does not want our wisdom, though, about God and salvation to be of our own opinion, but to be found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking there, and He uses the illustration of the shepherd and the good shepherd. He says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they know me. And he also says, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. This is God in the flesh telling us His purpose to give life and to live it at its very best. There was a story in the news recently. It was about something that occurred in Athens, Alabama at a high school girls' soccer game. It said that a judge that was attending that event was choked, began to be choked, uh, by a fan in the stands. Now, it was told on the news, and there were two different people that they interviewed. They interviewed the man that was involved, the man that was accused of the choking, and he told the story like this. He and the judge were talking, and they both fell, and he accidentally fell on top of the judge, and then everybody started beating up on him. There was a preacher there who came and assisted the judge or pulled the guy off the judge that was doing the choking, supposedly. He tells the story a different way. He says that the judge was trying to calm down an unruly fan and the fan yelled at the judge saying, you want a piece of me? And he pushed the judge down the bleachers and then began to choke him with both hands before the preacher and others pulled him off. Well, we might ask the question, who do you believe? But there's a more important question here that should be asked. It is, what is it that brings out the worst in people? What makes people do and act like they do? Here's the mystery that some have yet to understand. God loves all people, no matter who you are. His purpose is that He wants to give you eternal life and He wants to bring out the very best in you. And He does that by giving us salvation 
as believers in the Lord Jesus, as we submit to Him, He can bring out the very best in us. But what's the problem? Well, the problem is that everyone at one time in their life has been separated from a holy God because of sin. All of us at one time or another in life have been apart from God because of wrong choices. It's as if we were on one mountain, God was on another mountain with a great gulf or valley in between, and there's no way for us to be able to make it on our way to God. No way we could do that on our own, and it is not God's fault that is that way. It's because of our own sin and our own wrong choices. Well, it's because of that that God has a plan. God has a plan. Verse 25 indicates that the Israelites were blinded in part because of their disobedience. We read just a moment ago in verse 30, the first part of that. Paul writes, just as you were, talking about you and talking about me, just as you were at one time disobedient to God, and verse 31 says, they also, many of the Israelites, have now also become disobedient. Romans 3.23 reminds us earlier in Romans that all of us have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. We've all been disobedient. God has a plan, thank goodness, for the disobedient. And it's the same plan for everyone. Now, the Scripture reveals to us, at least in part, an outline of God's plan for Israel. There's an outline here. The Israelites who had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. With that rejection, God's plan was to take the gospel and the good news to the rest of the world. God never stopped loving the Israelites. God's plan was to turn the hearts of the Jews back to Jesus, which we are told will occur in a greater way in the future as we get closer to the time in which Christ will return. And when Christ returns, those who are alive, if not all, many will come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now we know that all Jewish people in Paul's day had not rejected Jesus. Some had. We know today not all have rejected Jesus, but some have. Here, but here's why we need to step back and look at the big picture. Because verse 26 that we read a moment ago, it's been interpreted in many ways where it says, and in this way all Israel will be saved. Some have said and even believed that that means all Jewish people will go to heaven because they're descendants of Abraham. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Some believe that all who are alive when Jesus comes will then become believers in the Lord Jesus. And that may be the case. Some have said that this means that all true believers will be saved. Then when it says all Israel, it's really talking about the new Israel. That is, sometimes in the Bible, the New Testament church, those of us who are believers are called the new Israel. But the problem is, here we have the Apostle Paul. He's definitely talking about those who are biologically Jewish and of Jewish descent, not the New Testament church referred to as the new Israel. So, I want us to help conclude with some with this passage about some things that we can know particularly about Israel and the future of Israel. Hopefully this will help us along the way. One of those, the Jews will be a part of God's plan for the future. Be a part of God's plan that they'll become part of His church. This is prophecy and it's God's covenant with Abraham and Israel. The rejection is only partial and it's only temporary. In Paul's day, some Jews believe. Today, some Jews believe and more and more every day. Number two, if you're following along in your notes, all Israel will be saved is not to be understood as every Jew who ever lived. My goodness. Paul spent the first 11 chapters in Romans saying that everyone who does not have Jesus is lost, including the Jews. When Jesus said, I am the way and the only way, no one comes into the Father except through Jesus. He really meant it. He was telling the truth. 
Salvation will only be for those who respond by faith and accept God's forgiveness made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is true that Israel can be saved and many of another generation from Paul's will be saved. Prophecies in the Old Testament talked of this like in Isaiah chapter 60 and Zechariah chapters 12 and 13 indicate a returning of many. Perhaps when Christ returns, many if not all of the Jews living at that time may become believers and witnesses to the world about Jesus. But salvation will always be an individual choice. It will not be for by virtue of being born of Abraham. Now, all certainly probably me refers to a great number. But also we find if you're following along, number three may say number two on your notes. That's a mistake. It should say number three, but it is. The emphasis is not on the who, but the how. Yes, Paul says Israel is included in God's plan, but the emphasis is on how they will be included. Sometimes in Scripture we find ourselves, if we're not careful, we'll misplace where the emphasis is. Now note that verse where it says in verse 26, first part of that, in this way all Israel will be saved. Where's the emphasis? Well, uh, for illustration purposes, I remember some time back, and maybe we're coming through 1 Timothy, and 1 Timothy 2.8 has this phrase, lift holy hands to the Lord. Lift holy hands to the Lord. And sometimes we can put the emphasis or too much emphasis in the wrong area. Now, people who like to lift up hands in worship and praise and in prayers, they like this verse. They love to point it out. And, and I, I, I like the verse. It's a great verse as well. If you don't like to lift hands in worship, you don't even like to be around people lifting hands in worship, well, my goodness, you just ignore this verse probably. But what we need to see is understand the emphasis because in the East, Asia, Africa, Middle East, uh, uh, places like the Holy Land, uh, whenever they lift up prayers, whenever they sing, they almost always they'll have their hands lifted up in prayer. Um, I was with a missionary that part of the world not too long ago, and, and he was interpreting, of course, and he introduced me as a holy man. He said, they don't have a word for preacher or clergyman, so I told him that you're a holy man. I think probably he was stretching the truth a little bit. But in the, and he brought a lady to him and said, this lady wants you to pray for her. So I bowed my head and closed my eyes, grabbed my hands. He said, oh, no. He said, so that she'll know that you're praying to God. He said, when they pray, though, they lift their hands up in worship. So it's, it's a cultural thing in some regard because that's what they would naturally do. And in some places it is what we naturally do. But the lifting is not necessarily where the emphasis is in this particular passage of 1 Timothy 2.8. Where's the emphasis? It is, if you like to lift up your hands and pray when you lift up praise and prayers, or if you like to hold your hands, or if you like to stick them in your pocket, most important thing is, is that they're holy. Where's the emphasis for illustration? Where now? Where is the emphasis that we find because we have something similar. So much emphasis is placed on all Israel will be saved. And some have misplaced the emphasis of this verse. The emphasis is not just the who, but the how. Many Jews will be saved. Maybe most, maybe masses of Jews will be saved in the future, but they'll all be saved in the same way. In this way, a deliverer will come from Zion. He will come and he'll take ungodliness from those who are of Jacob and he'll do that by 
forgiveness of sin, take away their sins. Jesus will forgive them when they repent and believe. Without repentance, there is no remission of sins. So what is the future of Israel? It's prophecy. There'll be a great turning of Jews toward Jesus. In fact, it's already happening. We see that in Jews for Jesus and Messianic Jews have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. There'll be more. Paul's actually writing to the brethren here in Rome to know that God still loves all people. He still loves all Israelites. Even those who've rejected Jesus and those who will be saved will be saved by grace through faith in Jesus. God has a plan. It's the same for all. And God also has a promise. One of those promises are found in verses 30 and 31. You might want to follow along or even fill in the blanks. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy. As a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient, in order they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. God's promise that all who come to Jesus will receive mercy. Now there's lots of definitions for mercy, and one of those is not sometimes defined as not getting what we deserve. We deserve judgment and punishment and separation from God eternally. But instead, God gives us life. He gives us eternal life and abundant life. Instead, that's mercy. So let's add another definition or description. God's gift to His children. Outside the Bible, one of the best descriptions, mercy found in William Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice, written in the 1600s, the quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes the mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throne monarch better than his crown. His scepter shows the force of temporal power, the attribute to awe and majesty, wherein does sit the dread and fear of kings. But mercy is above this scepter's sway. It's enthroned in the hearts of kings, and it's an attribute of God Himself, and earthly power doth then show like God's when mercy seasons justice. Act 4, scene 1. Who do you think you're dealing with? Hey, listen, we like a little culture every now and then, but what a great definition of mercy. It's true that no one will see salvation without faith. It's true that God's promises will never fail. Read verse 29, For God's gifts and His call are irrevocable. Some translations say they will never change, never be withdrawn. One translation says God will not repent, meaning God will not turn away from His call on your life. Let us talk about the future of Israel. The simple application is clear. God has a purpose, and His purpose is that He wants to draw all people to Himself. God has a plan, and His plan is through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we can all call upon Him We've celebrated the death and the burial, the resurrection, the death and burial of Jesus today with the partaking of the Lord's Supper. We remember that Jesus Christ also rose again and gives us life-giving power. And God has a promise. Mercy to all who let Jesus in. Well, you might ask, why would God continue to forgive Israel? Why would God continue to go after to love Israel? in all their disobedience. If you know the Old Testament, you know that they were disobedient time and time again. And still today, uh, only some who are believing in Jesus, Paul says his hand still extends out to them even though they are disobedient. Why would he do that? The problem is, if we're asking that question, then you might have to also ask a similar question. Why would God choose to save me? The answers are found in his choices of his 
grace and the wisdom that He bestows upon us, it's found in His loving nature. When Paul wrote to the believers in Rome so that they might begin to understand more and more about God's purpose, plan, and promise. And as he's writing about God's purpose, plan, and promise, and he realizes all that the Lord is doing for him, he cannot help himself but to give praise. So there's a distinction there of giving instruction, instruction, instruction. Then in verse 33, he gives praise again. He says, all oh, the depth of the, rich, of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. We might be like the Apostle Paul and we understand these things. We should be unable to keep from giving praise. We have a reason to give praise. May what we say and what we do and how we come together and even how we leave this place and how we act out of the community, may it be an overpouring of our praise and glory for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. One fine day in 1941, Violet Bailey and Samuel Booth were strolling through an English countryside. They were engaged to be married. They were blissfully happy at that moment. The shiny engagement ring was on Violet's finger. And as they began, suddenly things changed. Someone, one of them said something that hurt the other, and suddenly there began to be an argument that ensued. It continued to go south until finally Violet took off her engagement ring and threw it into the field nearby, hurled it as far as she could. And the ring fell into the grassy field underneath the grass where it could not be seen. Well, it wasn't but a few minutes later that they made up and kissed and all were good again. And they decided to go on with the marriage. For hours and hours they searched for the ring, but they never found it. Two months later they were married. As time went on, they had a daughter. Later on they had a grandson. All along, part of the lore of the family was this ring that had been tossed into the field and had never been recovered. Violet and Samuel grew old together. 1993, Samuel died. Fifteen years passed, but the ring was never forgotten. One day, Violet's grandson decided he would go and he would look for his grandmother's ring with a metal detector. He bought a metal detector and went to the field where Violet had hurled her treasure possession some Six seventy years earlier, he turned on his metal detector and began to crisscross the field and waving the detector over the grass. Over two hours passed until finally he got the ding, found what he was looking for. Seventy decades had it been sitting in the same place on the grass to where she hurled it years before. Later, filled with joy and pride, he placed the diamond ring to the hand of the astonished grandmother, Violet. The treasure possession had come home. Israel is God's treasured possession. Today, many Jews are coming to Christ. Jews who have found the truth are part of the new Israel, the true children of Abraham by faith. The prophecy is that more, many more, will come to know Jesus. You also are God's treasure. Like the shepherd searching for the sheep, he will not stop searching for you if you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior. He will continue to search. Or if you're part of the family of God, you need to know that He will never throw you away. You will never be hurled to a place that you cannot be found. 
He will keep you in a treasured place. You will never be forgotten. He will never, nothing will ever snatch him and snatch you out of his hand. Well, we've spent now several weeks, I guess, and a couple of months looking at Romans 9, 10, 11, where it's talked about Israel's past, present, and future. So we want to kind of do just a little bit of a summary here. What does the future of Israel particularly have to do with me? So let me encourage you to do this. Pray for lost Jewish people. Just like you would anyone who does not know Jesus as Savior and Lord. God wants to see Jewish people who are saved. We want to pray for those who are lost. We want to pray for Jewish people who are lost. Well, how many Jewish people do you know? Well, you might know some. Truly in a place like a lot of people coming and going, it could be... Could be you don't know any. But every time that you share Jesus with someone, that might be someone who knows someone who will share with them, a Jewish person, about Jesus. The Bible says, pray for the peace of Israel. There's only one way to have peace, and that's through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to pray for them just as we would anybody that is lost. Or, number two, trust in God's promises. If you believe the prophecy that Jewish people will come to know Jesus, then it's a reminder and an encouragement that all of God's promises are true. Particularly that all true believers will be brought to Jesus. Acts chapter 16 and verse 31 says, Put your entire trust in the Master Jesus. Then you will live as you were meant to live. Many of you may have trusted Jesus for your eternity, but you have a hard time trusting Jesus for the daily stuff and the difficult. But try Him and trust Him and see if you do not start living the life you were meant to live. Then you want to live also thankful for God's goodness and mercy that was extended to you. Thankful for God's goodness and mercy that was extended to you. Do you need to come accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning? We encourage you to do so if you don't know Christ. May this be the day that you ask Christ to come in. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Christian, you need to hear again and again the message of salvation. To remind you where you once were and to motivate you that if you're saved by faith, you are to live by faith. His purpose, His plan, and His promises deserve our praise. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the opportunity to come and participate in the Lord's Supper today, to be able to lift up praise. And Father, we know that You hear our prayers, both those that were verbalized and those that were silent today. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity that we've had to be able to come and hear from your word. And we pray, Father, that we will continue to seek to give you praise in everything that we do. We thank you, Father, for your good plan. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for the purpose that you have for each one of us. Thank you that you've called us to be a new nation, a nation that has Christ at the center of all of our hearts and lives. And Father, we pray if there's one here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today might be their day of salvation. We lift up these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.